grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I have never uh, talked about this publicly before, but the pandemic was a difficult time for me personally as a pastor. I know it was difficult for everyone, especially the 25 Zion families who lost a loved one from COVID or COVID complications. I'd never pastored during a pandemic, and at times it seemed like we could please nobody. We were too cautious for some. We were not cautious enough for others. Masks or no masks, social distancing or no social distancing, whether we worshiped or when we worshiped in person or not. And I was about ready to give up and do something different with my life. Until one night, I had the strangest dream and I only shared this dream with my wife, Anne, at the time. And the setting for the dream was a, a typical, beautiful little white country church. Only this church had a, a fort built around it in my dream. It was like, sort of like those forts the Calvary would have in those old westerns. Each corner of the fort had a lookout tower, and each tower had a lit torch. And pastors Connie, Sue, and Mike were also in my dream, and we were all wearing Calvary uniforms. I'm not making this up. <laughs> and a lot of other people were in my dream too, but I won't name names. <laughs> and I was barking out orders, and everyone was, was running around feverishly preparing the fort for an imminent attack. You see, in my dream, I had been told that the joy stealers were going to attack at nightfall. And so we were preparing the fort by fortifying it by building an outer ring, another plywood barrier to thwart this attack of the joy stealers. And in my dream, I realized that we were running out of time before darkness would fall. And so I called in reinforcements from all the other churches I've served. There were these familiar places that appeared. And everyone in my dream was in this chaotic frenzy as we were prepared for the attack of the joy stealers, and darkness was fast approaching. And all of a sudden, I blew a whistle, and the pastors and everyone else fell into perfect formation. Now, I wish it was that easy. <laughs> and I was standing at the head of the formation, and all of a sudden, a firm but very calming, soothing voice from the sky called out, at ease, at ease. It was like when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee by simply saying, peace, be still. And then I woke up from that crazy dream, the attack of the joy stealers. And I think most of us don't experience such a frontal assault, and yet the joy stealers may attack us in the form of a difficult person in our life or a troubling situation that is difficult to find our way out of or through worry or anxiety about the future. And when they do, they tend to rob us of our joy, no matter who we are. And over the next five weeks, our sermons will look at Paul's letter to the Philippians 
And as we read Philippians, we'll see that Paul, in spite of some very difficult circumstances, always remained joyful. And we can learn from Paul how to build a fortress around our lives to, present, to prevent the joy stealers from mounting a successful assault. In our reading for today, Paul offers us some helpful suggestions or insights for maintaining joyful relationships with people in our lives, with our friends and family, neighbors, people we work with, perhaps even strangers. First, Paul simply says, I thank God every time I remember you. I thank God every time I remember you. Paul, in effect, is saying, I like to remember the good things about people, to focus on the good times that we've had, to remember the positive experiences that we've had together. Now, what do you tend to remember about people? The good experiences or the bad experiences? I know that I can have a hundred positive interactions with people and one person, one negative experience and unfortunately, I will always remember that one negative experience. And we know that Paul did not have an easy time when he was in Philippi 10 years prior to the time that he wrote this passage or this letter. And during that previous visit, he was imprisoned and tortured a number of times. He was literally run out of town finally. He had plenty of negative experiences in Philippi. And yet he still says, I thank God every time I remember you. He chose not to dwell on the painful memories from Philippi, but to, to focus on the things that he was grateful for. And maybe you've been hurt by someone in the past. And as long as you dwell on the negative, you're depriving yourself of joy. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should live in denial of the hurt or the pain, but we need to acknowledge it, deal with it, and move on and focus our time and our energy on the good that we see in others. And then as we continue reading this first chapter, it's very clear that Paul cherished his relationships with his friends and his co-workers because he prayed for them. He writes, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. You see, when you pray for someone regularly, it certainly has the potential to change them, but it also changes your attitude toward them because it is much harder to be bitter and angry and resentful to someone you're, you're upset with if you're sincerely praying for them on a regular basis. I read about a nurse who had a great plan for prayer, a very simple one. It was based on the five fingers on her hand. Each finger reminded her of someone that she should pray for. Her thumb, of course, was closest to her, and it reminded her to pray for her closest friends and relatives and family. The second finger, the one that we use for pointing, reminded her to pray for the people that she would come into contact on a daily basis. In her case, it was her patients and coworkers. The third finger is the tallest, and it reminded her to pray for the leaders in each sphere of life, for world leaders, for community leaders, for leaders in her church. And the fourth finger, which is the weakest one, reminded her to always pray for the weakest and most vulnerable in society, especially for the sick and the needy. And the little finger, which is the smallest and the least important, reminded her to pray for herself and her own needs. A prayer life like that that lifts up the needs of others is a big step toward having more joyful relationships in our lives. 
And the third reason that Paul's relationships were joyful is that he had confidence in God. In verse 6, Paul said, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Paul is saying, be patient with others because God is not finished with them yet either. We are all a work in progress. We are in process. We are still growing. We are still becoming, but we have not yet arrived. And when others let us down, it can be a real joy stealer in our lives. But don't let your frustration or disappointment in them steal your joy in life. Because God began a good work in your son or your daughter or your spouse or your coworker or your neighbor will bring it to completion. He will finish the task someday. You don't have to. We can build a strong fort or fortress from the, to prepare us for the attack of the joy stealers when we remember to give thanks and to remember the good in others. And when we pray for other people regularly, daily, and when we put our confidence in God and God's ability to complete His good work, not only in us, but in other people. And finally, the ultimate secret of joy-filled relationships in our lives is realizing that Jesus is the source of our joy. In today's first lesson, the name Jesus appears six or seven times, depending which translation you read. It appears that more than 40 times in the whole letter of Philippians. You see, Jesus is the center of Paul's letter. He is the ultimate source of Paul's joy and our joy as well. We can find joy in our relationships in life no matter what because we know that we are loved unconditionally by God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, God demonstrated His unconditional love for every single one of us. Dr. James Brown, a, a medical doctor, tells the true story of a five-year-old girl named Mary who, like Paul, even though she was only five years old, understood the secret of a joyful life. This is what Dr. Brown writes. He says, as we rolled little Mary into the MRI room, I tried to imagine what she must be feeling. She had suffered a stroke a stroke that left half her body paralyzed and, had, and now she was hospitalized for treatment for a brain tumor. And if that wasn't enough, she had recently lost both of her parents and her home in a house fire. We all wondered how Mary would react. And she went into the MRI machine without the slightest protest. And we began the exam each imaging sequence required the patient to remain perfectly still for about five minutes. This would have been difficult for anyone, but certainly for a five-year-old who had suffered so much. We were taking an image of her head, so any movement of her face, including talking, could result in a distorted image. About two minutes into the first sequence, we noticed on the video monitor that Mary's mouth was moving. We heard her muted voice over the intercom. So we halted the MRI and we gently reminded Mary not to talk. And she was smiling and she promised not to talk. We reset the machine and we started all over. Once again, we saw her facial movements and we could hear her voice faintly over the intercom. And what she was saying wasn't clear. 
And everyone was becoming a bit impatient because we had put a busy schedule on hold to perform this emergency MRI on little Mary. We went back in and we slid Mary out of the MRI machine. Once again, she looked at us with her crooked smile and she wasn't upset in the least. But the technician, perhaps a bit too gruffly, said, Mary, you were talking again and that causes blurry pictures. Mary's smile remained and she replied, I wasn't talking, I was singing. And you said no talking, you didn't say no singing. <laughs> he said, we looked at each other, and we felt a little silly. And someone asked, well, what were you singing, Mary? And she said, I was singing, Jesus loves me. And then she said, I always sing, Jesus loves me when I'm happy. And everyone in the room was speechless, happy. How could that little girl be happy? The technician and I had to leave the room for a few minutes to regain our composure as tears began to fall. And Dr. Brown concluded, many times since that day, whenever feeling unhappy, stressed, or dissatisfied with part of my life, I have thought of little Mary. Her example helped me to realize that joy that joy is a marvelous gift of the heart and that it is available to all of us. You see, Jesus is the source of our joy. Joy comes when we center our lives on the love of Jesus. And because of His unconditional love, we can stand at ease and we can deflect the joy stealers in our lives and truly live as people of joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.